So series five of the Still Parents podcast is done and dusted. And before we delve in with a look back, let's reintroduce the guests who joined us over the last six episodes. Chris Watson, who's joining us on Zoom. How are you, Chris? Yeah, not too bad. Tom Ford. Evening, gents. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Benji, how are you, buddy? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Benji's just meeting Matt for the first time. You're <laughs> the guy with the leg the leg excuses. Unbelievable. <laughs> did, did you drive together? Did you drive together? Did you drive together? Yeah, you did, didn't you? Dan's already loaded that one up then. Nathan. Ellis, how are you? I'm good, mate. Yeah, even better for seeing some good signings coming in at Forest. Uh, make you excited for the new season, oh, mate. I didn't hear Nathan talk about football till they got promoted. No. Oh, no, <laughs> amazing, yeah. Aaron, Aaron Snipe, how are you? I'm good, very well. Glad to be here. We'll hear stories and thoughts from all of our guests over the next hour or so. And if you'd like to jump into any of their episodes straight away, you'll be able to find links for all of them in the description here. Series 5 was started and concluded with guest Chris Watson, who joined us via Zoom in episode 1 when he had a bout of the old COVID and in person at the end of the series. Let's dive in and hear parts from both of his episodes where he talked about the journey he and his other half, Kiri, have been on after the loss of their baby, Amelia, and the legal process, which is still currently underway. Kiri was, due date was, you know, passed. All of a sudden she was kind of like, well, I, feel, I don't feel quite right. And she's like, I think something's changing. So we thought we'd better go home. I was like, you sure it's not the roast? Sorry to my parents that may be listening. Wasn't there cooking, I promise. <laughs> the Yeah, she, she she got, you know, that feeling. And then we kind of left home and by about, you know, 8.30, she started to have, have contractions. 10.30, you know, they were coming more thick and fast. And we, we kind of called up the, the midwife and said, what should we do? By this point, by the way, just for information, we were having a home birth. So the whole idea was we were in covid I knew that if we went in, you know, and I wasn't allowed into the birth or anything else, we kind of played in our minds. We said, we'll just, we'll just have a home birth. And we were told, you know, initially they came out to assess our home. They were like, yeah, everything's fine. So around 10 so we had that, that call and we were told call back every hour. We got further in and Kiri started getting a bit of pain and she was a bit uncomfortable. So we said, right, let's call the midwife out, you know, enough's enough. Let's just see what she says. Get her out. She came out, checked Kiri and said, look, you know, the baby's heart rate's a bit raised. We want you to kind of go in and get checked out further. Grabbed the bags, grabbed the pillows and went off to the hospital, got up to the ward and get pulled to a side room, does the checks and stuff like that. And Kiri at this point is, is not feeling very well. She's been been quite sick. And um, How were you feeling at this point? Was it was it cause for alarm or did you did you think it, this is just something which is, you know, because it was, yeah, you had a child to this point, was it? So it's that new experience. Yeah, good question. I mean, like as a you know, as a new parent, you have no idea what's kind of going on, what's happening, and you are you know trying to work out what's what's going on at that point. But all seemed fine. You know, we were going in. The, the midwife had come out. She'd reassured us. We go to the hospital. We're in a safe space, right? We're in a we're in a really good spot. So I felt like great. You know, I'm in the right place to be. Although Kiri's not in the best position, she's in pain. I'm like, well, this must be must be normal, right? You know, I've seen these things on TV. That's about the most experience I've ever had. So, you know, we always see that stuff. And, and as a, you know, as a first, first baby, that's kind of all I've known because we don't have kids. Mm. So anyway, we got in there, the midwife had done the checks, everything else. And she started to go, yeah, you know, you're contracting every so many, you know, couple of minutes. She was dead on the dot. She was checking it by the clock and she was going, yeah, you, you know, you kind of been at that point where I'm like, well, she's an established labor pretty much, but she wasn't dilated enough so they said to her well look you know we'll do what we're supposed to you know check out and everything else and Kiri's like well I don't want to be checked out necessarily because it's it's uncomfortable at which point you know she put the Doppler on for about five minutes was like oh yeah the heart rate is a bit is is elevated and we sat there I'm like right okay do you want to read 
notes, for example, for what we've got to do next, the birth plan, all that kind of stuff. She's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. All's fine. So then we, you know, after seeing this clock and moving, she was like, well, you know, you've opted for a home birth. Kiri's like, well, can we kind of stay in? We've got our stuff. We're kind of good to stay, you know, right yeah. now. Can we can we stay? She needs more pain relief. Yeah. And she went, well, not really because you're not in, you know, you're not fully dilated enough. And she's like, well, can I go to the, the birthing suite? Because we'd already said, you know, the Bluebell suite is attached to them. That was our second option. If we wanted to go, you know, things weren't great, we could go there and uh, and go to that midwife-led kind of uh, unit, which is a nicer area. And they said, well, no, not really. We don't think they'll accept you in there. So she went, we think it's best you go home, you know, and, you know, you carry on there. How did you feel? So, well, it was that point where you're kind of like, well, I've got my stuff. I'm sure by now you're saying Kiri's contractions are well established, but she's not dilated. So I'm kind of like, well, what does that mean? Kiri's in too much pain to be, like, really saying much at yeah. all. So it's kind of that point where we're like, well, I can only go by the birth plan, and she hasn't accepted the birth plan because I've gone to unlock a phone and give it to her. Yeah. She's kind of gone, well, I don't need to see that. So I'm kind of going, well, well, what now? Look, kind of looking at Kiri for like that point of saying, well, she's wanting to stay in. What do we do now? And I think both of us were kind of in that kind of a bit bemused state, you know what I mean? That point where you're like, well, you don't know what they're doing. They're not explaining to you what they're doing. Yeah. So you kind of accept they're the ex- expert in the field. You know, they know what they're doing. You kind of go, well, okay, I'll, I'll just kind of go with what they're saying. And that was when they kind of said, right, we'll, we'll go home. And we were kind of like, go home and do do what now? Yeah. You know, at that point, we kind of had gotten our bags again, trundled off down the stairs with more more of those rude words as we were getting down each flight of stairs. Getting back to the car, having to stop each second because Kiri's, Kiri's not, not very well at all, yeah. you know. Um, I bet, that, I bet and, that's quite frightening as well, Chris, because yeah. like you say, you're going home to do what? To sit in, well, sorry, to sit and watch Kiri be ill, being immense pain, obviously, for because she's in established labour and what have you. That must be really scary, especially when it's your first first experience, sorry, and you're putting the trust into these medical professionals, but then... Yeah, you feel very much alone because at this point, Kiri can't really talk or function beyond what's going on, right? So you're leading that point and, and you know, you've, you have met Kiri, most of you in there, and know she's a pretty strong person and leads most things. So one of the things we're told was to, to you know, to go back, put the birth and pull up, because we've, we've got, you know, home birth, but also a, a, a water birth in that sense, so... Put the put the pool up, and basically get Kiri into the pool and let her be in the pool, and that will help with the pain and, and, and everything else that came. So, fifteen twenty minutes later, I'm like, Kiri's not really looking any any better, and she's still in pain. I'm like, I'm not sure what to do. So I actually started getting on my phone and doing a bit of googling. I know it sounds stupid, but I was like, no clue what to do. I got my phone googling, to which I got some terrible stares because I think Kiri thought I was just looking at some kind of Netflix video on my phone while I'm like there, and she's she's in labour. So I'm I'm scrolling down my yeah, phone, true, kind of it? looking it's at her, going, "What the hell?" You were on Sky Sports, yeah. weren't you, Chris? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got the feeling, right? You know that. You know that look. We all know that look. That I got look, the look. We've all had like, that look, mate. Probably very little comes up, and that's why it kind of got to the point. I was like, right, what now? When Kiri said, yeah. "I need pain relief," and I was like, right, midwife's going to get called again. We went through that point of calling them up, and I called them up. Midwife answered, can you come? She's in pain. Oh, well, you know, it's been, it's only been a certain amount of time since you come out of hospital. I, I was on the call for a few minutes, and I said to me, I said, look, please help me. I like, I don't know what to do. You need to come. That's it. To which, you know, she kind of said, oh, okay then, and finally came out. The first thing she does is get a Doppler out, and she starts trying to, you know, make notes and listen for the heartbeat. She's going along again, and she's like, you know, I can't, I can't hear anything. 
So Kiri and I, like Kiri's in, Kiri's obviously at like this point totally, you know, yeah. not kind of with it, like in such pain. And I'm there going, what the hell is going on? And she's there trying to find the heartbeat. And she's eventually going, you know, can you can you get out of the pool? We're going to have to put you into different positions to try and try and do this. To which, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd covered our sofas and it looked like some out of Dexter, I kid you not, because it was all plastic over everything and, and everything was covered. But wow. trying to get her to move there, yeah. It was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, I don't know, half an hour in, whatever that looked like, still hadn't found a heartbeat. I finally said, well, we've got the bags. Like, yeah, we can go. We've, we've not long come I was going to say, at what point does this become... I mean, for me, this you know, this is an emergency <laughs> now, isn't it? You get you get to the hospital. She was so calm, is the best way I can describe it, that it all seemed in hand. You know, she said this can happen sometimes, with the words I think she used. Right, so, okay. you know, not hearing the heartbeat. And, and then she was like, I need to call someone. And then ended up calling the midwife that came out the first time, called her back and said hey, you know, can't find a heartbeat, what's going on, blah, blah, can you come out? To, to which the midwife that had come out earlier said, yeah, no problem. And I'm still going, what, we're getting another midwife to come out now to the house. So she did. 20 minutes later, 15, 20 minutes later, she was at our house. She came and literally within a few minutes of her checking, she was like, call the ambulance. Now you've got to wait for an ambulance. So it's not only yeah. half an hour with the first midwife. Yeah to then get a second opinion on not being a, not being able to hear a heartbeat, to get a second opinion, so you wait another 20... I just don't get the thought process no, behind that. No, nor me. And, and, and actually, to some extent, I don't think it's a case of, of us potentially slating... No, no, of course not. No, no, I know. Yeah, I know yeah, and yeah. I know it can come across, you know, what we have been saying, I know it can come across that we are slating those, those midwives as well, but what are your personal thoughts to those midwives at this, at this moment in time? And it's changed. We're 12 and a bit months on now. So I know a lot more than I know than I knew then. They sent me to get scrubbed up and they said basically they were going to try forceps. And if forceps didn't work, then Kiri was going to have to have an emergency C-section. Okay. So they took me into the room and they just start doing it. And I'm at this point, you know, I know I remember thinking, this really isn't good. Like, yeah. really isn't good. Like, I, I just thought, I looked at her and I was like, I just, you know, I'm feeling like I just, I'm just hoping that, that everything's going to be fine. But it's that thing that, again, kind of gut, gut feeling is like something isn't right. We're basically in that point now where the C-section, you know, takes place. And I have to say they were quick at this point getting stuff. You know, they took Amelia out and just took her straight away. I couldn't, it was such a blur. They took her straight past us. And I, I, I just remember them saying that, Kiri's saying, is she okay? Is she okay? Like, and, and, and just saying like, I just, just, just saying, you know, I think it was oh, oh fuck, like, like, and I just remember that kind of point of like, I, I'm looking at her because I don't want to look over to the left of me because they're they're now resuscitating Amelia. There, they were putting, you know, giving her adrenaline. They're trying to get her heart started again, and it was that point where they were doing that for half an hour, and they finally said to us, they came over and were like, we're, we're sorry, she's you know, she's gone. What do you say? You know, like less than, less than 12 hours ago, I was feeling the kicking and bumping around. Like what, what do you even, and then they had to obviously stitch carry up. So I got sent away again, yeah. left in, in the corner with, with just like this kind of, well, no baby, you know, well, the half, you know, being, being looked at from a, you know, being stitched up. I'm not with her. 
and you just couldn't feel more like numb is the no, best way to describe that's... it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. We've never been in this situation before. You know, they finally brought Kiri back and they said, you know, do you want to hold baby? And I was like, do I? I was like, I, I don't know. Like, and, and this sounds, this sounds really bad, but I'm going to tell it as it is, you know, this is a dead baby. You know, I wouldn't grab a dead person. I'm like, this is what was running the kind of crazy stuff that's running through my head yeah. right now. You know, I, 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 I'm not being like, it sounds weird, but you know, you're kind of like, well, what do I do? I'm, I can't bring her back to life. Like nothing's going to change. You're going to show me what I could have had. You know, is that what you kind of, you kind of doing? Is you're saying, this is what you could have, you, you both could have had. And it's like, well, we didn't. Chris, how are you finding it? I know it's very serious tonight and there's a lot to go through. And as you said yourself, there's, um, there's, you know, you're saying the same thing to a lot of people a lot of times. So we appreciate you doing it again. It's tough. I mean, we're like, we're 17 months on yeah. and we still haven't got a resolution for this stuff. And that can't be a nice emotion to juggle. I don't want to imagine how it feels, but also I would like you to try and explain it. I think the best way I can describe it is reliving that kind of, reliving every time that nightmare over and over again when you have to go through this. So it's not even just telling someone, it's going yeah. through that process. I feel like, you know how you watch those Netflix documentaries where someone's been, you know, imprisoned falsely? Yeah. I know that sounds really weird, but mm. I feel like battling out every time against something that's kicking back to us and we're having to be the one that goes and fights our own corner. Yeah. So our age of investigation, when they actually logged, because they have to take both sides into consideration, they're impartial, they did the interviews with the hospital and one of the things that they couldn't pin down were timings. And they'd had all sorts of really random timings. And when the head midwife came out to us, she said, we, we've got a, like a gap of three hours. We can't work out what went on. And that was a crucial time. And the good thing is I had everything documented. And when they came to us and, I, and they said, well, this is what they said. It was almost like, uh, you know, and this is the bias that comes out. But HIP said this. It was like what they say is correct in terms of the hospital and is because they are there, it's correct. And we're not. Right. And I'm like, but we've got video evidence. And... The ambulance service corroborated with us the timings that they needed. I was like, so we're accurate. I have to say kudos to the HSIB team. They did a, a thorough investigation and they gave some requirements, quite a lot of requirements to the hospital. And that gave us a bit of, you know, uh, it, it validated our feelings and the way we'd kind of, because also you've got to think while you're going through this. And like I said, you don't know if you're right in doing this if you if you you know are validated yeah. in going yeah. after this concern how do you know if this is a problem yeah. Yeah, you know uh, you do doubt yourself you yeah. sit there sometimes you go oh maybe of course. it wasn't it wouldn't be natural if you don't when you look at what goes to what they call the nhs resolutions i think it's called okay. um that if you think 2019 2020 that the total cost was i think it was 200 million pounds or even more that they paid out almost half of that were to maternity problems Almost half of that. So if you think about the legal battles that have gone on, wow. this is not a problem that's small. This is something that's... But you don't hear about that a lot, really. And so that's, that's something else again. But why would you? Because yeah. baby loss. Yeah, I right. think this is Q. the stigma Q. as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know? yeah, well, you just nailed it. Yeah. That's what it is. That's why these conversations are so important, because that means hopefully you can push the agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is it because just that fear of the conversation again, though? Does it come back to that? Is that part of it? Or is, it's obviously it's not all of it, but... Um, why, why is it? Why is it not? Well, your guess is as good yeah, as mine, you know, true. because ultimately, if there was an answer, it'd be done. Yeah, and and this yeah. is why you know we have things like Baby Loss Awareness Week, which is brilliant, but we what, don't. Yeah. Well, why do we need a week? Exactly. You know, and as I said yeah. to you two in the hotel before Lorraine last week, again from that angle of not having lost a child, until I met you, I didn't know no. when that week was. If it was a week or a month, I knew there was something. 
Yeah. And obviously I know it now because I'm more immersed in that world through you guys. On to episode two, where Tom Ford joined us to talk about multiple miscarriages, which he and his other half have been through, and also the effect it had on his personality, including anger issues towards some of his friends, which is something that Ryan and Matt were also able to relate with. To be, to be fair, on the fourth one, the only way we dealt with it was laugh. And right. that sounds bad, but we had to laugh because we were just like, it's getting beyond a joke. It's getting comical now because nobody can give us answers. One of the hardest things throughout of it is, is, is you tell, you're excited. After, that, after processing the first one, you're excited. And I told a couple of my best mates. And, yeah. and, and I think the hardest part was saying, unfortunately, she's mm. lost it. Mm. Because you're going from yeah. cloud nine to the, the lowest you've ever been. Yeah. And, and nobody in sort of my and all Steph's family has experienced it. So it's how they couldn't, we couldn't get how to, how to deal with it or how do you deal with it? We've talked about this quite a lot, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. It? We've talked about that feeling of going from utter amazement and feeling how you're on top of the world to then falling through the floor and, and, and how you deal with that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting how people deal, deal with it differently, don't they? Yeah. Which you, you who said it specifically, Matt, that whole thing of the, your body's, you're not built to well, your deal mind's not, yeah, with not, that. It's not it's supposed not. to be something that you're supposed no. to deal with anyway, even in the no. first place. And, and something you mentioned a moment or two ago, Tom, about, I think it was the fourth, and you said you just had to laugh. Yeah, that's, that's how we had to sort of cope. I think it was Simon Philpot who came on last series when, similar thing, Simon and, and his other half cat, and he said, it, I think it was on the sixth time, where they were, the mentality shift was, let's just expect it not to work. Yeah, yes. And I think just as a way of, of, of dealing with it mentally and not getting overexcited. How did your emotions change from dealing with the first one up until the fourth? Were there different ways that you tried to just mentally approach it? I mean, we didn't turn to, to, to alcohol, we didn't turn on each other, we didn't turn yeah. to drugs, we didn't... The only thing I guess it did is it knocked my confidence massively. I used to be... Confidence in which way? I used to be quite loud in the room, but that just took a downward spiral. Yeah, and I which just, is understandable. Yeah, and I just... I think you can, be, you can start to become scared of your own thoughts and because you constantly question... You're always questioning, why me? Why has this happened? Yeah. What are the reasons behind this? And... Like you say, un unfortunately, you've gone through different types of miscarriage, i.e. the you know the ectopic and, and what have you. And I think what you start to do, especially, and I, I remember when we lost Lily, and I, and I know this is different, obviously, with it being a stillbirth, but it's still a loss, just like yeah. miscarriages as well, because we, as soon as you see a, a, a positive pregnancy line, everything changes, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Your whole mind, every yeah. the, the purpose of everything changes. <laughs> But I found myself not wanting to be by myself because I was scared of my own thoughts. Yeah. Not because I wanted to harm myself or things like that. I was frightened in case I was ever or I ever had a thought of something which was going to scare yeah. me or a realisation of something that was going to scare me or mm. I'd read something or I'd see something on TV or something like that. And yeah. I didn't want to be by myself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you say about seeing something on TV, I, I remember as clear as day. Obviously, they're, they're, they're upsetting times, but you've got to support your partner. She, she's been through it physically. You've been through it emotionally and mentally. I remember being laid, Steph was asleep next to me, and it come on, on the TV, the slightest little thing to do with miscarriage, and I just sat there mm. crying. 
And to be fair, to, to this day, Steph probably doesn't know that. Mm. She probably does she now. She does now. Yeah. But any little trigger of it, if if I was with people, I'd be able to deal with it. But if if I was on my own, it would come out. I think but when, you, when you're on your own, you, your feelings get amplified, don't they? So, I mean, look, at you can go to the flip side. How often will you laugh at something just because someone else is in the room with you? And if you saw that same thing when you're on your own, mm. yeah, you might you not find laugh. That's why I was saying, yeah. like, if, if you're in a room and you see something funny and you laugh, you do a lone lol. That's, that's, that's some funny stuff that is right there, <laughs> if you laugh on your own. After sort of the miscarriages, when I, when I used to have a few drinks with the lads, I remember going to, to London and we, we went out and... I probably didn't deal with the miscarriages as, as, as well as I did. I didn't deal with them in sort of any way. I just got on with got on with life. So after a few drinks, the emotions come out. And the, this one particular night, our group of lads out, and uh, I ended up in a little bit of a ruck with my best mate. Oh really? Yeah. And it was it's embarrassing to look on look back on now. And I'm just we just looked at each other. And we just I just said I was just glad it was you. Not we didn't punch each other. We just mm. had a little bit of a a scuffle and I just thought yeah. not not that you don't want your mates to be a, your punch bag or whatever but that's how poorly I dealt with it okay. I'd say and I completely regret so you both it. had a few drinks leading up to this yeah yeah and okay. it, it was I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon right. this happened and blokes must be looking at us and women thinking look at these muppets here in the middle of the street but you know what you know uh, there's footage of that on the internet we'll yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that because I went to a friend's birthday which would have been I think it might have been a 30th birthday. And I saw a lad at this party later on in the evening that wasn't actually invited to the party, but he decided that he was going to try and enter the party by himself. And I'd got that much pent-up anger in me. I was just like, this kid's getting it. He's getting it. Yeah. Simply, there was no... I look back at it now and I think, what a prat sort Ooh. of thing. But that was my way. I, I had to get something out of me. Yeah. And then as soon as I'd hit him and he'd hit me, I think I'd sat on the floor and cried my eyes out for God knows how long with a few few of my other mates around me. I suddenly realised, actually, that was just my way of getting getting it out. When me and Nate played football together, we uh, we had training and I've gone in a 50-50 with who's our goalkeeper at the time. And it was probably a little bit naughty. For your me. own goalkeeper? Yeah, it's at training, yeah. And it was, Look at again... You fighting your mates, tackling again, your goalkeeper. Yeah, and it, we ended up swinging at each other. Right. And literally within... Four or five seconds, he grabbed me and he hooked me. Yeah. He goes, "Don't worry about it." Yeah, and I just uh, well, that must have been quite a, a range of emotions in a few seconds. Then, yeah, and I just thought, "What am I doing?" And I think that was the day where I thought, oh, "I haven't dealt with this properly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And I think what Tom was talking about earlier as well. I, I suppose in the first few occasions you have an rooks or whatever, Tom, like, that, that's just pure emotion but there's also something quite safe about you doing that amongst your friendship group isn't there that, that, course, that, yeah. that you, you end up putting those emotions out there because you know you can because it's safe and they'll understand and, that's and what it'll I'm glad get of is they understood yeah they, they, if they didn't know what had happened or what you were going through then god knows what could have happened I, I, I did that on a night out and it'll, it'll sound out it's my, my best man um, at the wedding coming up he uh, something daft right on a night out you've we've all done this before right Somebody had got a glass of water and I had a bit of stick for getting a glass of water during this this, this stag do. And I'd dip my fingers in this water and just, just flipped him like that in his face. We've all done that mess about the Put my fingers in this pint, flicked it like this in his face. And my that, best, that's, my that's be horrible for people with glasses, by the way. But but then his his reaction, again, because you know, we've had a drink, he picked the pint pot up and he just dumped he dumped like half this drink on me, right? And I was just soaking, I just went. 
That's too much, man. <laughs> it just escalates quick. Yeah, and, and then I, so then I was angry with him. So I had a, I had a. That's too. That's too. So, far, sorry, that's too it, far. It went from a flick to a full pint. Yeah, yeah. Which was I felt was Amazing. an escalation, right? But then, <laughs> yeah. But then the way I went from there was to get cross. Did you get a barrel? No, well, no, I didn't. Kind of hose I out. Fortunately, it didn't get any further than that. Just got me super soaker back here. <laughs> it didn't go any further than it was a flick, then half a, half a pint, right? right? But then I walked off and I took, because I knew I was like emotionally rocky. Yeah. And I could feel I was getting angry. I took myself off, like, away. And then he came over and went, ended up having a big heart to heart and I cried because I was still, it wasn't about that. I was yeah, just getting emotional course. about yeah the thing that you know i'm carrying around with me which is which is having lost well, carter and then it ended up in actually i needed to talk to somebody exactly and then i did for half yeah. an hour and it was a safe way of doing it i mean it was his fault not mine you know but <laughs> that's it, what it was it's that trigger isn't it that that was the trigger that you needed to, to open the and dialogue to have the conversation and then we had a chat and i felt better afterwards and then uh felt better just a bit wetter yeah yeah <laughs> On episode three, we were joined by Benji, who came on to talk about the effect that losing his brother when he was a child had on his relationship with his parents and how it affected his upbringing. You know, thank you for having me on. And ultimately, I think everything that you're doing is is fantastic for many reasons. And actually, one of the reasons, as I sort of said to you off air, that I was compelled to do it was because it, it, it actually got me thinking about, yeah. you know, my own journey and perspective and and what impact has has, you know, having a child being lost to my parents before me done to, to my life, my upbringing. Yeah. A number of the things that came out of it was this idea that actually I, I recognize my parents and I have never sat down and had a discussion. So many of the things that I know and that I can give details on, yeah. ironically, are things that have come from other people, like yeah. from extended family, from family members that have told me the things, you know, my parents and I have never sat down and really had direct kind of conversation. I think that's part of a problem. Is that something you were aware of? Is it a conscious decision to do or is it just something that you never really no, no, got I, stuck into? As I, as I said, I think um, I'm, I'm really conscious of it since you guys invited me on the podcast right. because it gave me the time to really reflect. But okay. when I think about it, it it's it, for many reasons, it's, it's quite obvious because yeah. such a traumatic experience um, for my, my, my parents, something that, you know, Ryan would be able to align with as a, as a father in that circumstance. When is the right time to discuss that with your yeah. children? The situation with mm. my, my brother, I've, I've gained more information about it as I've become older. So from what I understand, the situation that they found themselves in was a case of, well, it's kind of either my mother or my, my brother. Um, oh, wow. and so obviously my father and, and mother had to sort of make that that call and that decision to, to understand the complexity of that how it would impact two people you know I, I now have a son as you referenced and to put myself in my father's shoes now mm. you know it, it's it's only something that I've actually been able to do since becoming a father you know growing up and you know getting to 18 and 19 and starting to understand okay you know you, you had a, a brother that would have been a year older than you you can start to understand and yeah. you can speak around some of the the, um, the, the specifics, but to really feel and, and empathize with the emotions that a man in particular, as, as we're discussing today, mm. would have felt at that time, that switch flicked on as soon as, you know, I realized that, that we were pregnant with um, Joshua. And yeah. so, yeah, it, it's only really reflecting since becoming yeah. a father that I realized how huge that was, the impact it clearly must have had on my upbringing. Why, why there are certain things that, you know, certain ways I was brought up. And I love what you're doing with this podcast because it's so important because when you do go through this process of thinking about having a baby, starting a family, wanting to have a child, 
everything's spoken about in terms of everything that you 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 gain as a result when you have that child yeah. but a feature of pregnancy is death yeah. like it's a feature of pregnancy you know one in, i think one in three pregnancies ends in miscarriage so it's almost like we don't discuss and we don't speak about the fact that when you are entering into this idea of okay we should become parents that actually that part of that conversation exactly. is not the fact that you th there is one in three chance that you could yeah. actually be experiencing death to some extent i want to thank you for what you've just said but to some extent my heart has just dropped because i up to two minutes ago when you said had never thought about so i we we've been fortunate enough to go on and have other children yeah but we also had Alfie, who was three, prior to us losing Lily. And at no point have I ever thought that those kids, my kids, will grow up, hopefully to have their own children, but could also potentially have that, that thought process that actually, when we lost Lily at 37 weeks, in their mind, exactly what you've just said. Yeah. You could go through all this pregnancy, but you, but you know, and actually the naivety that was taken away from us in future pregnancies... My kids are never going to have that. No. I mean, it's literally, yeah. that's just hit me like a rock. <laughs> and I just felt my heart go, and I was like, wow, actually, I've never thought of that. And that, that is, that's an eye opener. What you're doing and the purpose behind what you're doing is remarkable. And it's, it's, in, it's really important because this conversation need, needs to be had. I have an awareness of it because of what I'm aware loosely mm -hmm. through my own almost research, not my parents imparting, not my parents yeah. imparting that knowledge to me. You know what what happened and what and what took place. But but I do have a slightly different perspective to it, which I think has benefited me in some ways. In terms of it's given me that experience and that understanding to know and to see pregnancy as well a feature of pregnancy. It is death. Is it acknowledging the fact that this is reality? It's a reality. Yeah, yeah. and I. I I think having that grounding helps. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But on the other hand, I have to say, and it's not something that, that I probably ever really was able to discuss openly with my wife, is that I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy the pregnancy. At the start of episode four, we took a moment to have a listen to the speech that UFC fighter Paddy Pimler had done right after his victory the night before, after one of his best friends took his own life and highlighting the need for more support with mental health aimed at men. It's interesting what Paddy... I was just about to say that, what, what Paddy Pimlet, night, Pimlet said. Yeah. So Paddy Pimlet's a UFC fighter. He was yeah. fighting UFC London last night. Lost his um, literally four hours before his... Um, he woke up at 4 a.m., didn't yeah. he? And he, his mate had committed suicide. And he, and he did a speech after his um, fight, and it was brilliant. It was absolutely yeah. brilliant. He literally just said to... Wow. It, it was something along the lines of there is a stigma in yeah. society that men, yeah. that men don't talk, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, you know, I would he said, I would much rather somebody come and cry on my right, shoulder yeah. and talk yeah. than me have to go to their funeral a yeah. week later. As I say, men don't talk enough, lad. Men don't, lad. Men have got this stigma where, oh, if I talk like that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weak man. I'm, you're not weak, you're stronger than anyone. If you can go and talk to your mate and say, hey, lad, this is affecting me. People think bottling stuff up, bottling stuff up makes it better. I've been there. If you can't make a split-second decision, what will end everything. And you've got to think about things. And The one thing I always say is you've got to get it off your chest. That's something that I did. I eventually spoke to someone, and as soon as you speak to someone, it feels like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Literally, that is what it was like for me. I was like, Oh my God, that feels better. And then I spoke to another friend, I spoke to my dad, I spoke to my fiance, I spoke to my coach, and 
it got better and I know that my friend Ricky never never feel like didn't feel like he could speak to anyone without getting called little girl. And that's what we need to get rid of, lad. Mental health awareness is for men it's ridiculous. There's no funding in the UK for it either and no one does anything about it, lad. It's the biggest killer I'm in between like twenty one and forty five. No one does anything, no one cares. And it's what does me head more than anything, lad. No one cares about it. And the crowd just went massive. And it, you need someone like Yep. Well, he's right, though, isn't it? I mean, we, we, it's right. something we come back to quite a lot. It's such a simple thing, and we all have those days where you just don't feel like it. No. But yeah. opening up and talking to somebody, and it might be difficult for the first f couple of minutes, but it's gaining that momentum, isn't yeah. it? It's something that we've, we've talked about a, a lot. After that, we were joined by returning guest Nathan Ellis, who'd been on before to talk about the loss of his son Carter, his recent marriage to his now wife Flick, and the effects of maintaining a healthy relationship with your other half after the loss of your child. So I think there's, there's a couple of things that happened really. The, the first, at the, t at the point where we lost him in the hospital, I lent on Flick hugely in, in those hours where we were in the process of him being born. And, uh, and she was definitely the kind of the rock and the, and the backbone of our family unit at that point. I don't know. I don't know how I got through those hours without her, to be honest. And, and uh, you know, and, that, and that, obviously we've talked about guilt and, and those kind of things in here before. And I guess that's where some of, you know, my feelings came from that, you know, I wasn't particularly strong during those hours in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I needed her and she was there for me. And, and obviously further down the line, I've reciprocated yeah. that. And, and, you know, it comes full circle. You're there for each other when, when you both need each other. Uh, I think the sad reality of, of, uh, of the loss of a child, I think, it, I think it can probably go one or two ways. I'm sure there are people out there who have devastating loss. And, and unfortunately, it gets to a point where their relationship does break down and they can't continue, maybe because it's too painful a reminder of yeah. what they were hoping they were going to have. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a variety of reasons, but I think that's one thing that can happen to couples re really sadly through no yeah. fault of their own. Unfortunately um, for us, I think we've just gone from strength to strength as a result of losing him. I say all the time, of course, I, I would sooner have Carter here yeah. in the flesh, of course I would. Um, but there's been lots of positives to, to come out of it as well. And I think, you know, like we always say, I'd rather not be in this club with you lads, but aside, uh, it, it would be true to say I'm very happy also to be yeah. part of this club with you guys. Does that make sense? Well, it's the club you don't want to be in, isn't <laughs> Strange it? Strange feeling, but you're right. Yeah. Because, because I know that I can talk to any of you whenever I want to. I've been involved in so much as a result of, of, the, of the charity. You know, I've had, I've had lots of fun yeah. as a result. I had lots of laughs as a result. Do you know what I mean? And, and also had the opportunity to feel like maybe I'm helping other people too, even if it's just by talking on here. You definitely are. Yeah, I think, I think for us... We always we always look at the positives of having lost Carter. Now we're at that point really where, yeah, of course we're still sad and we get upset sometimes. Yeah, and there are difficult periods that you go through, um, but largely we, we always look at well, you know what's good what good has come from us us losing Carter, and there's an awful lot that's that's come as a result. I think um, and being able to maintain that relationship as well, which is, which is great. How it it one thing that's quite interesting is because obviously couples still argue and. While you're going through through grief and handling a conflict, did that, did that make things harder? There is that has that been something that's been able to bring you closer? Because I guess obviously you learn a lot about each other, especially when you move in. But dealing with those emotions on top of still trying to regulate a a, <laughs> yeah. um, a relationship. Well, I think um, I think there's a few things there. The first is that, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't maintain this all the time, but definitely in the early period, I'd say the first four, five, six months, the little things that would have wound me up 
in just day-to-day life. Yeah. They just didn't. Because yeah. I just thought, that, significant, that is insignificant. Isn't it? yeah. It's all perspective, isn't it? And exactly. At the, at the That's time, exactly the word. Yeah. At the time, you know, in the, like I said, that first maybe six months, I think one massive change for me was the, I didn't sweat the little things so much because it's, why would you? Um, and I, I think with regards to arguing, falling out, we don't do a lot of that anyway, to be honest. Flick's, Flick's normally right, and, uh, and I normally concede, and I know when I'm wrong, but <laughs> I think that certainly in the first, the first kind of few months of having lost Carter, we, just, we were just so close, yeah. you know, and we had an awful lot of time together. But also, it was incredibly sad, of course it was, and we were upset a lot. But Leo, we kept Leo in his routine, so he was he was still going to child childcare yeah. and, and doing that. How old is Leo now? Uh, Leo's three and a half now. Okay. But he stayed in his routine because we thought that was yeah. what would be best for him. Also, it gave us the time away from him if we needed to. Probably good for you as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. It felt almost like you know being back at the beginning of a relationship again in a way in that we were going out and doing fun stuff together. We weren't yeah. sitting around and, and yeah. being glum. We we. We'd go out and we'd go, you know, we'd go bowling, we'd go out for some food, we'd go out for a drink, we'd things like yeah. that where again trying trying to keep ourselves as upbeat as we could. Yeah. But also you're getting to know each other again. That's what I was about to say. In a yeah. in a in a different different way. It, the relationship's still the same, obviously, but you're getting to know each other from a different perspective now. Yeah. It was a whole different thing. I never grieved like that before. Mm. So like you just said, you you're discovering or how is my partner dealing with this, and how you find out how to support them as well, because you you've no idea, have you, to start with, whether if I say this or do that, will it be the right thing? And as you guys will all know, I'm sure, men men are f- like fixers, I say. If I was talking in generalisations, men are fixers, aren't they? If someone comes with a problem, yep. you go, all oh, right, well, just just do this, that, and that, and yep. that'll be fine. But that's yep. absolutely, well, I, I've discovered, for me, that's the wrong way. It's, it's not about that, it's about listening and... You, you you said that right, didn't you? That's why you couldn't get your head around at the start was because you would you can normally fix something, but you you can't in that situation. You said, didn't you, that like you couldn't get your head around that? Could you? Oh, you oh no, I couldn't. I, I think probably echoing actually what Nathan said right at the beginning when he when he started saying about his relationship and when they first found out in hospital about Carter, he's, I think I was probably very similar. Relied heavily on Amy because I think Amy had put herself into a psychological position where she knew she had to give birth, knew that she'd have to come back into hospital. I mean, this was on a Friday that she'd have to come back in on the Sunday. So I think psychologically, even though she was broken inside, she still had to be, well, not had to be, but she was still very, very strong, probably knowing what she had to do. That resolve was there because you still have to go through it. Absolutely, you still have to go through it. I don't think it probably hit home for Amy, to be honest, as immediately as it did or okay. as immediate as it did for me, even though there was that scream and the cry and the upset and stuff. I think psychologically she had to prepare herself to then give birth, whereas me, it hit me immediately because I can't fix it. Yeah. I can't do anything. I can't, yeah. you know, I can't take that pain away from her. You're watching the person that you love, that you've married, yeah. and then thinking about Alfie as well at home, yeah. and that there's nothing I can do to take that away. Ours was flip reverse because Crystal was asleep. For Callie, so she was put. She had emergency C-section. Did you had to break was, the news, so that I had to break the news. So I, Crystal, rolled over and thought we still had Callie, and then I had to tell her obviously that we, yeah. we hadn't. So I, I, I was kind of reversed to you two. I had to because yeah. Crystal was not only coming out of a C-section, so she was in ridiculous pain. That she reminds me a lot when I cut my finger. She's like, oh, do you know I had my body cut open twice? I was like, yeah, brilliant, love that. Like, you know, so, like so, a scab. Yeah, exactly, like my scab. <laughs> she was in that pain, so she was in physical pain, and then she was in psychological pain. So I, I yeah. knew I had to just 
I had to kind of and and when we went home, I, I was the one that because Chris had panic attacks for weeks on end. Like, Is that something she's always was this as a result so, of the loss? Or something yeah, she had before? I mean she's she's always, she has struggled with things as well. Because I mean she lost her mum when she was eleven to cancer, so she's gone. She has gone through wow. it. To be fair, so she's had. What happened is she, every morning she'd roll she'd roll over, wake up, because she's woken up from a sleep. Mm. That's then bringing everything back from yeah. the start. So then she just panics. I literally ha- I remember the, the early days I had to hold on to her for an hour and a half. She, that would literally be an hour and a half panic attack. Like I just couldn't do anything about it. So, but as we as we kind of move forward with that, I was the one that had to get us out of the house because if I hadn't got us out of the house, we'd have just sat in the house not doing anything yeah. so it i'm kind of reverse to you two mm-hmm. in, in a way was that easy for, for crystal to do at the time like, good to you know to get out of the house yeah were, well, you, were you able to I, it, now looking back i mean it wasn't funny at the time because it was literally six days after we lost cali it and we lost in a, a time period where we just had where it was the sun was it was unbelievable the weather was just perfect we went out to um, sheldon country park you know you can sit at the end where you can watch the planes mm-hmm. come in mm-hmm. so we went yeah there, yeah and we went and watched just for something different, but we parked on the wrong side of the park, which you know now where to go. We didn't at the time. So we, we hiked across this park in the boiling heat. Crystal still had her stockings on from like the you know, things they send you away. And looking back now, I'm thinking, why the hell did we do that for? Like, it was actually quite funny now. I mean, at the time, it was, I was worried about Crystal actually making it across the park, but like, you, but then, you, but then, yeah. what you said, you just do yeah, anything yeah. you can at that point to just, take your mind yeah, off it's take the pain away yeah, yeah of course you're trying is. to avoid it of course yeah, it is and, and like I said even looking back frog marching crystal across a park at, in like 30 degree heat when I mean, she's like six days out of a emergency c-section looking back was probably not the best decision but you know yeah. I had a good time <laughs> <laughs> someone's probably got someone has got a photo of that as yeah, well someone's got, <laughs> someone has got that yeah somewhere. yeah yeah like Andy and Lou off Little Britain yeah <laughs> 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 I know yeah, I know <laughs> something that Nathan mentioned during this which I hadn't thought of actually and it was interesting I want to ask you Ryan and also you Matt if this is something that you also felt and it was just when you mentioned Nathan about the little things for a while you just you just let it go you didn't you know the, the tiny things that we all get wound up at like I get really I have an issue with traffic lights because I think they're after me because they <laughs> right you know the ones where it's like they, they're on green when you go around the corner yeah and then they wait it's like that bit where if I don't put on the brakes now, I'm going to... And then they change. And it's every turn. There's one particular set. You know, Birmingham, Top of Hagley Road, by the McDonald's. They have their, they've got cameras like, and all a, sorts Like a little man sat in there. Like, yeah. Dan, Dan's Here coming. He comes. Here he comes. <laughs> and you know... Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you know, when, so, you know when you look to the left and the right in the car and you just see an angry bald man, you can't... You, just the mouth move. It was a bit like that episode, actually, when you couldn't hear us. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just me just swearing and cursing at the traffic lights. And it's one of those sets as well. It's not on red for like 30 seconds it's one of those it's a full three minutes yeah, you it knows it's waiting it knows I'm late <laughs> if I'm when I'm going back to sorry to go off on a tangent <laughs> when I'm going back tonight when I haven't got anywhere to be at a particular time they'll be on green yeah they'll be <laughs> anyway. sorry I feel better now <laughs> you're gonna be alright things like that why me up you know those little things but back yeah. to the original question did you and in all seriousness did you have a similar thing as what Nathan went through in, in terms of those little things I've spoke about this before, and you know, I just, I just got, got quite angry, right. in, not verbally or physically. Out in my own head, I was just angry at other people just going about their lives. Oh yeah, you meant you did mention yeah, this actually previously. I, I just couldn't figure out why they weren't 
unhappy. But I mean, looking back now, it's not rational. Mm. That was the one thing that really does stick with me when I was walking out of that that hospital where you walked through the doors and you saw how the world was still going on around yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was it genuinely, fair, I'm, it? I'm not just making this up, but no. it felt like everything was moving at a million mile Absolutely. an hour. Yeah. And, and we were just stuck in yeah. this whirlwind of yeah. shit, yeah. basically. No, yeah, yeah. But in, going back to what uh, Nave said there about the small things, I think to start with, yes, probably, I've, I did look at little things and probably thought it's just, what's the point? What's the that point in getting angry? Or the right? word perspective you use. Yeah, there, yeah. I, I think what... But then the the other so that that bit's quite good. If on a personal level you can start to not sweat the little things, but then yeah. that what you do have as a result is when other people are sweating the little things, yeah. and with you personally, yes. that's when it's that's when I, yeah. I start I struggle with that because then I'll go. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. This is really big to you, is it? Because it isn't to me. And right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you know that. what I've just been through? Yeah, is that yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, like, yeah, do, yeah. do you understand yeah, what's happening yeah, with me? Yeah, yeah. And, and and sometimes a reminder of like I know you think that's big. But it, seriously, it's not. It's not. Yeah. 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 That was And that's not to downplay somebody else's issues. No, but no. I'm, I'm, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about something small that they've got caught yeah. up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Let it go. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No, no, I, agree, I yeah, totally yeah. agree with you. Massive. I had a little bit of that with old acquaintances, shall we say, who, yeah, it was. It was like they had an issue with, because, I don't know, you couldn't choose what pub you were meeting in or something. And I'd be thinking, seriously, is that what you got fucking worry about? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. It, you know, and and do things feel not fair? Oh, God. massively, yeah. yeah, massively. Do you know what? I'd be lying if I said I didn't have self pity. Yeah. I didn't, you yeah. know, think what? Why you're not sad for me? Why are you still doing this? Why are you still doing that? Because I don't think I'd be human if if I didn't have those not. feelings. So that, they were like the internal conversations you. Had they were the internal head. conversations. Yeah. yeah, so it was almost like the devil and the you know the two little men that yeah. sit on your shoulders. You knew what you were thinking or what you were the questions you were asking yourself. You knew the answers to them, yeah. but it was almost like you were battling against one or the other. And I think the right people in, I don't know about you two, but I think the right people in your life were patient enough for that. They understood that and they stayed with you. Whereas I think the people who look it's entirely down to individuals, but if they didn't and they didn't think that at that point your grief or your problems were big enough for them to understand, I'm, well, in a way also I'm like, well, that's fine. I don't need you in... That in my life, we, yeah. we went away after the day after Lily's funeral. We went away. We went to Germany, and we went away just to just to get away, change the scenery, and change the scenery did did wonders for yeah. us. Didn't help with the grief because we were still you know intense grief and what have you. But just being away and away from the change of environment, isn't yeah, it? yeah, just the just the everything there, the funeral planning, all of that sort of stuff. How did it feel when you got back? We didn't go home. For, I think it was about two and a half, yeah. three weeks. A lot of it, I think, came from me, was that I just didn't want to go back into the house. Yeah. We'd brought that house for a reason, and the reason had died, yeah. basically. So for me, I couldn't have given monkeys if that house had burnt down. We ended up going back home, and then we landscaped the garden and did lots of other stuff while we were off. Yeah. But interesting what you, what you just said there about how people that are around you who would say the right thing, do the right thing and support you and stuff like that. I still, to this day, remember a family member saying to me, you just need to get back to normal. And that was a family member. Yeah. Mm. Now, I would never rock the boat and say who that was mm. because it's not, it, I'm just not going to do that. No, no. But the fact it was a family member to me and not a friend or somebody you haven't known for a certain period of time, 
really did make me think, hang on a second, even though you're a family member, probably further down the line family member, I'm not talking immediates like parents and stuff like that, but I just thought to myself, actually, you you don't know me at all. Yeah. You don't know the situation at all. You don't know, actually, mm. what you've just said is... It's actually, but it's, I think these conversations yeah. help now. Oh, absolutely! I think what we're doing now, yeah, is making exactly. like what we've done since we've done the podcast. I think it's making people get that, and and I think that it's also making the conversations, especially with some of the people that at the start maybe didn't didn't have conversations with me at the start. Now, mm. even if they don't talk to me a lot about it they now understand more. Mm -hmm. That's all I want. I, I don't need to talk about it all the time or whatever, but I just need a bit of understanding. That's all I need. It's knowing that, that you can still be happy again and that you do have happy moments still and that mm. life isn't just crap because it's not. If you can talk to people, that will help you bear the suffering. Yeah. And if you can find your coping strategies, whatever that, that might be, that will help you. And you will still be happy again and you will have large chunks of time where you are just in that happy place and you'll have dips, peaks and troughs like anything when you recover from anything. And don't feel guilty to be happy either. For episode five, we were joined by Aaron Snipe who came onto the show to talk about the agonising decisions he and his other half had to make when deciding whether or whether not to terminate a pregnancy and also how to handle conversations with friends concerning the termination of a pregnancy and potential judgement. We went for the 12 weeks again, and it was one of those where I never, I, I, it was weird because we, when we were driving, we were just pulling out of our road, and Louise said, I'm a bit nervous about this. And I said, Why? why yeah. Why, what's, what's to be nervous about? We know he's there, and looking back mm. on it now, it's such a naive thing to say that, yeah, of course, that's going to be all right. We, we, we've done the hard bit now. So we went to the 12 week scan, and then we found out, unfortunately, I remember the, 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 the lady doing the scan, she just, I just saw her face. You just immediately think the worst, and, and he was diagnosed with what's called um, exomphalus, which is where uh, some of the organs and I think it's bowel and liver are growing outside of the stomach, okay. so they hadn't yeah. gone back in. We went to the women's, and they were absolutely amazing. Like it, They are angels sent from above, I'm telling yeah. you. They really are incredible. But they said, yeah, there, there is a problem, but in a lot of cases it can be sorted but it can be caused by all manner of things. It could be chromosomal issues. It okay. could just be something that, that sort of happens. From that point, what, what was the advice that you were given and, and how, what was the, almost like the roadmap, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak. At that point, it was sort of, look, we've, we've identified the problem. We know what it is and it can be treated. It, it, it means an operation sort of as soon as he would be born. Right, okay. But it, it can be sorted and we're waiting for chromosomal testing to come back as well to find out whether there was any issues like down syndrome or anything like that we got that news that the, that was all fine and we found out that we were having a boy so at that point then you thought okay everything's yeah, cool yeah, yeah. Again. We, were, we were absolutely fine we yeah. thought okay we, we know we've got this issue we know it can be sorted yeah. we're having a little boy great it's going to be a, a strange start to his life because he's going to have to be in hospital he's going to have to have an operation yeah but once that's done he's coming home and it'll be fine we had to go for a um i can't remember what they call it um, but it like it basically to check the heart yeah. because it can have a knock-on effect to the heart. I, it's weird. I, Matt and Ryan will know exactly. Yeah. But like you just sort of pick up on things, and I, I just remember looking around thinking something doesn't feel right again. So then when we had the heart scan, they sort of said, "Look, there's a problem here." They said, "Look, we haven't got a cardiologist here. You can come in tomorrow." But. So yeah, I mean, it was just like not not again, not another you, twenty four yeah. hours. We went home, we had a McDonald's, and we just sort of sat 
thinking, okay, well, because we, they, they couldn't tell us what it was because there wasn't anyone there to tell us. They Which just, doesn't help, does they, it? Because no, then they, you tend to just to go on the internet then and, and it's worst case scenario, isn't it? You we, think, oh, that's what it is. Whatever the worst thing is, that's yeah, what it's going to affect me. Absolutely. I mean, we, we sort of tried to enforce the rule, me and Lou, that especially with the Exomphilus stuff, because there wasn't that much information out there. So we tried to steer clear of that. And in that, I think that, that sort of 24 hours when we got home, knowing there was a problem, that we just sort of tried to steer clear of it. So we went back in the next day. The cardiologist came in, did his heart, the, 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 like went through the heart stuff. And there was colours flying around the, the screen. It yeah. just I'll never forget it. It was weird. And then they went out. So it was just me and Louise yeah. sat in the room and... We just didn't really speak to each other. It just, there's nothing to say, really, because we were just waiting for them to come back to us. And and you've already been on this emotional roller coaster. You've been up and down, up and down six, a few it was times. Six, it was six months yeah. of it, really. And it, it just didn't stop. It just, it just did not... You couldn't relax at any point. Yeah. So they came back in, and they took us into the, the consultation room and, and sort of said, look, it, it is what the midwife thought. I said, look, just give me some sort of yardstick. Like, what's, what percentage would you say? And they said, look, you would have to have open heart surgery first. If he got through that, he'd then have to go and have the exomphalus sorted, which is another operation. That's all within the first couple of weeks. And they said, we would say less than 20% that he'd survive it. He's just not going to be able to. We just don't think he'll be able to do it. I was just angry, straight, like really angry. I, I, I sort of just sat. It felt like for about an hour with my head in my hands and sort of trying to comfort Louise as well, who was obviously yeah. not... Well, you both, you know, both distraught, it, Yeah, you? It, because you know, we just looked at each other and I said, look, we've got a decision to make here and I think I've made mine. And Lou went, yeah, I've made mine. Because we had to like call them back in and they were like, right, so these are obviously your option. We have to tell you about this, we have to tell you about that. So what options did they? They basically said we down? can we can go through with it, go yeah. through and, and and he you know he would be born, but it wasn't that, that he would have been born alive. Okay, but he'd have then had to go through the operations and stuff, yeah. or we could. And I hate using this word, but I don't really know what else to like, terminate. Basically, yeah, it's a very cold it's, ho- word, it's horrible. It? Yeah. It's a horrible word to use. Uh, I don't think there's anything else to say. Really. Yeah. <laughs> there's no other word to describe it. Like I mean, what <sighs> we knew what the right decision was. We said, look, this is what we're going to do. And they said, okay, that's fine. And he's sort of like, well, we've still got to go through with the whole thing. You yeah. know, he's still going to have to be... Because I, I just didn't know. I, I, You know, you don't read up on that sort of thing. So I, It's I, just expected to go one yeah, way, isn't exactly. it? Something you're asking, which, which we hear a lot, you know. You're, you're asking the, the, the doctor, does Louise have to give yeah. birth? And Lou was like, yeah, of course, of course I do. Yeah. He's 21 weeks. God, I don't know. I, 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 I was hoping that that wouldn't have to happen, but it, but it did. So this had gone on from from twelve weeks up to twenty one weeks. This, yeah. this absolute emotional roller coaster. Then the yeah. two of you have to, you and Louise, have to make that decision yeah. whether to go through with it or to, so to use the word, terminate. No, no, no absolutely. Yeah. Did you talk about that much, or was it more of you just sort of both felt I th- it? I think for, to make the decision, we both, I think we just knew straight away okay. that it just wasn't the right thing to do for us. There's no right or you know, it, 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 but we just felt that. We didn't want him to have to go through that. Understandable. Uh, you know, we we would we always said, and it was only you know af- afterwards that we took his pain away. Yeah. And that helped us massively, and it still does to this day. Yeah. Because you always wonder, did we make the right decision? Of course. 
and it's still you know it was something that Lou had, had mentioned a few times when we were when we were sort of back home have we made the right decision here I was like we have 100% we have mm. because it would I, be unnatural not to I question yourself think, yeah of course and I, I don't think I could have watched my newborn son go through open heart surgery <laughs> yeah I, I just don't out of choice, yeah. You know, it would have been right. Okay, sorry for us to have our. You're gonna have those feelings of guilt saying, "Well, you, you're putting yeah, through it was this." Sort of for our happy family sort yeah. of thing, we'll put our newborn baby through this, and it just didn't feel for us that like it was the right thing to do. So we we sort of made the decision, and then I think it was sort of two or three days later. The again, I hate using this, yeah. but the, the process started, okay. and it was just horrible. Yeah. It's extremely brave as well for for Aaron to come on and, and share his story because we tend to get a lot of people who come to come for support. Sorry, um, at the charity who have sadly had to terminate for medical reasons, and I think it's extremely brave of people to talk about termination for medical reasoning because it is a. I mean, I've never had to do it myself, but I've spoken to lots of people who have, and I know the the feelings that they go through to have to make that type of decision it's not easy it's really really not easy it's that word again guilt that comes up a lot isn't it i was just yeah i was just about to to say that i remember at the start you know crystal went through real big feelings of that where i had to try and convince her that it was like she i'm I'm sure she probably still thinks this now but she it's not correct at all but she she said for a long time she felt it was her fault because she said her body had let Hmm. her down and it's so difficult to convince someone that it isn't their fault because it wasn't. It's just one of the it's circumstances, isn't it? But it's yeah. horrible circumstances. It's circumstances you shouldn't have to go through. Guilt is not something which you can just take away from somebody. It's not like I could turn around to Matt and say, you, you don't need to feel guilty because you've done this, this, this. And then he walks out going, yeah, brilliant. Okay, that's yeah. great. Because that's it, it, guilt doesn't work like that. Guilt's one of those sort of feelings that just eats away at you and it stays with you. And eventually, over time, you then start to process the guilt feeling that you have and the and the the emotions that are associated with it. And eventually, that guilt disperses. It goes. This is what we do, isn't it? As men, yeah. we try and convince that it's not their fault. We try and make things better. We tr- we fixers. That's what we do. And this, yeah, totally. you can't fix it because no. it it is literally taken out of your hands. Matt. Fair play for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate this, it. I'm being serious when I say that. There's some stats around TFMR and, and, and the sort of feelings that, that parents um, experience after they've had to make that sort of that sort of choice. Over 80% of people tend to have a serious feeling of guilt. But what's more notable is over 50% just tell people that they lost a baby and they won't actually say that they've had to terminate for medical reasons. A lot of people, because of the guilt that they feel would rather say that they've lost a baby okay. and not that they've actually had to terminate a pregnancy for medical reasons. And is that in case possibly of people... Judgment. Like judgment and things like this. And yeah, and that's Because we live in a very <laughs> judgmental society, yeah, don't yeah. we? And yeah. that's, where, that's where I wanted to sort of go with you, Aaron, is just to sort of ask if, in terms of that telling people, where did you both sort of sit with that? Do you know what? Now that you've mentioned it, I hadn't actually really thought about it like, today actually feels like one of the first times to to people sort of outside of the family almost and other than you Ryan that I, you do explain that it was a, a termination and, and 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 why it happened and and how it happened when normally 
you do actually say, yeah, we, we lost our we lost our very boy Jonathan. So I, I hadn't even thought about that actually. It's, a, it's an interesting. It's true. It's a great question, Ryan. Because yeah, yeah. people very you, you you'll start just having those own thoughts in your head, isn't it? Yeah. Different people. Well, clearly, there's a problem with the relationship, or yeah. maybe this, that, and the other. Whatever it is, I was else. shutting it down straight away and said, we're not even <clears throat> going to discuss. We're not even going down that route. If anyone's questions our decision, they come and speak to me about it because. Yeah. No, we're not even going to go down that road as to. You don't need those people. We in your life, not, no, yeah. and if anyone does, you, yeah, as you say, you don't. You don't. Need you don't them. need them anywhere no. near. And no. that is, um, no one ever. No one ever has. No one's ever mentioned it. I mirror what Matt said about how, um, yeah, just how amazing it is that you've come on so recently after it all after it all happening. Thank you. How um, it's a stupid question. Uh, how have the last six months been? But in terms of just carrying on with with your life. I met you for the first time on Friday with your dad yeah. down at the cricket. Who's got the most yeah. amazing suntan I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Did you see that? Proper brown. I thought he'd flown over just from like Spain for the day or something. Yeah. He, he gets a lot of attention because of his suntan. He's <laughs> amazing. I always think I've got a good suntan and then so you go out with him and it's yeah. like... I mean, you have got a suntan, but your dad made you look like Casper, which exactly. I don't know what makes me look like. <laughs> He, he, he's see-through honestly but before we move on what is your dad's name by the way Dave um, alright Dave big ups Dave big because up Dave. Um, yeah, Dave was very proud and excited for his son albeit in unfortunate circumstances coming on the, on the podcast and I think he's watching what, actually what, as well yeah, well Dave he, he said to me at the cricket on Friday between one of the overs and uh, he said right uh, well get Aaron he does some brilliant impressions oh, no. get him to do some impressions oh here we go oh, oh went, yes oh, well oh, excellent we've not had anyone who can do any impressions yet on, to the, uh, on the show and I went who does, who does he do impressions of and he went his mates <laughs> I don't know any of his mates. So well, who's who's the best? <laughs> right, so do an impression of any of your mates and we've got to guess who it is. Just one. I'll tell you what, rather than it being a mate, right? Go on. Have you ever, cricket, let's go back to cricket. Go on then. Henry Blofeld, have you ever heard of the oh, commentator yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry Blofeld? Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. think I can do one of them. Is it the one with the, the interesting voice? The very possible. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to put a clip of the actual original guy here. There's no pressure. After a mix-up on the telephone, I accidentally went on holiday with the wrong girl. <laughs> right, so uh, let us know what you think of this impression, please. Girls, girls. Good afternoon and <laughs> welcome to Lords for the first day of the Ashes Test Match here. I am Henry Blofeld, and sat alongside me is Jonathan Agnew. That's amazing. That is you know, actually that's fantastic. really good. Fantastic, yeah. It was also a big series, personally, for everyone involved in the foundation, the charity, and the podcast after we got invited to have an appearance and a talk about the podcast on the Lorraine Kelly show. Now, Lorraine wasn't there, so we sat on the sofa with Christine Lampard. The whole thing you can see through our social media pages, but let's have a little catch-up with the interview right now. Now, my next guests are putting men's grief under the spotlight in their podcast, Still Parents, which shares the experiences of men who've suffered the loss of a baby. Ryan Jackson and Matt Whitehouse, both of who lost their daughters, created the show alongside their friend, Dan Kelly. I actually think the hardest part as well, or one of the hardest parts is that you go from your normal everyday routine to being told that actually your world has just been flipped. Obviously going through the trauma, and they're not sure yet, you know, what the future, you know, whether maybe there's pl plans, making plans and, and... We, once we started to try and recover ourselves after Cali, we decided pretty quickly that, you know, we wanted to, to, tr to try again. Well, that podcast is heading into its sixth season and its creators, Ryan Jackson, 
Matt uh, Whitehouse and Dan Kelly join us now. It's lovely to see you all, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here because this is such a, an important conversation that we all have to be having, but particularly men. Um, I know, sadly, Ryan, you've, you've lived through the loss and grief of losing your little girl, Lily May, um, still born at 37 weeks. Um, how, how did you cope at that time? And did you feel like you had to be the stronger one? Did you feel that weight on your shoulders? Yeah, I think that would be the fairest way of saying things, yeah. I, I felt that I had um, a responsibility to my wife, Amy, and mm -hmm. also my, my three-year-old son, Alfie, at the time, to, to be strong for them and to, and to support them as much as possible and, mm -hmm. and probably neglecting my own, my own grief and my own mental health at that time as well. Mm -hmm, exactly, and, and you're wanting to hold everything together for everyone else as a natural kind of role. Yeah. Um, I know, and that'll, that obviously resonates with you as well, Matt. Um, and you became involved in the Lily May Foundation mm. when you lost your little girl. And suddenly, at least you did have a group of people that understood your grief. Um, uh, and that was really important, again, because you can feel lost. You just feel lost in this, this dark moment with very few people to talk to. Unless you have been through it, it's very difficult to explain it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that... Uh that Ryan's kind of hit it on the head a little bit is the fact that you, you kind of enter a world that you um, you didn't think you were going to be part of. Um, but I think that you also kind of uh, look around for any kind of support you can possibly find. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that um, it's, it's it, 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 at that point, you're kind of just trying to figure your way through things. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, what we've kind of tried to do with the podcast and create um, um, a new platform for men to talk and try mm -hmm. and share their story and, 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 and show people that actually it's, it, it, it's okay to be vulnerable yeah, as well, really. Yeah, it's okay yeah. not to be okay. And indeed, if you don't feel like you can talk or you want to talk, to listen yeah, to you... absolutely. ...is probably just as important sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I used to find that um, a lot of the men that I spoke to very much had that opinion, mm. is that they found that they, they couldn't get the words out but actually what they were able to do was process their, th their thoughts, their thinking, their feelings and emotions whilst being able to listen to a podcast or music or something like that. And I think what our podcast does is it's almost like the stronger together mantra. Yeah. So it's like a men's group, like we say, that you don't want to be part of. But now we're part of it. We've got to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And we can all support each other by, by you know... The, what we're delivering yeah. and, and helping them as much as we possibly can. It was, it was creating a community really, uh, Dan, wasn't it? And, mm. and you were able to help set this podcast up, Dan. You know, you're a presenter, you're a producer, you knew how to technically put it all together and, yeah. and also give a, a different viewpoint. Luckily, you haven't had to go through any of this grief, but that was an interesting viewpoint in itself yeah, because absolutely. actually one of yeah. your episodes was called The Elephant in the Room. That was actually the first one that we ever did. Mm -hmm. And it was to talk about, because oh, you know, as, as you said, I've not, thankfully I've not lost a child myself, but um, Ryan and Matt are friends of mine. I know other people who have, and I think it's important to, one of the challenges that we have with the podcast is obviously getting people to listen, because A, if you've lost a child, why would you want to listen to something that's going to remind you yeah. of it, of the worst day ever? And if you haven't, again, it would be, well, this is not aimed at me. I think it's very important, as Ryan's saying, to, to talk and to listen, even if you don't, anyone's welcome to come onto the, onto the podcast. And it's like, I guess, if you're in a bar or a restaurant or a pub or wherever, and sometimes you're at a table with a group of friends, you're not actively part of the conversation, but you're still listening to it. And if that can help, it's going to give you a lot of support. And obviously, you can join in with the conversation and just being able to, to talk. 
and, and, and have people who, who you can relate to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we talk about a lot of things. It's not just, obviously, we, you go through all the, the, the dark times and talk about the situations that people have been through. But then, you know, we're, we're a bunch of guys, so we kind of get derailed a little bit and we'll use, use the stereotypical universal language of men and talk a lot about football and take the word I can't say on the TV out of each other <laughs> quite a lot. So it's just a good platform just, just to hang out, really. I think it's also the one thing that's really... Um, come out for me as well, is I also think that it's been a way of um, uh, partners in men's lives, mm -hmm. kind of directing them, because I think sometimes... Um, it takes a lot yeah, to be able to, think, to yeah. say, I need help, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. I, you know, I need to speak, I need to be open. And I think that, I mean, we, we've seen it through the, the sort of analytics, haven't we, that there, there is actually more women that yeah. listen than men. Yeah. For a podcast aimed at guys, yeah. mm. I think it's the case of, it's like, come on, you, stick this but, on. But also, you know, <laughs> I, I read that and I, I, I thought to myself, actually, that's interesting because I think as, as the, the woman, potentially, maybe within the, the partnership, there isn't a lot of communication. And it's an interesting way for the, the woman to, to listen to potentially what their partner's going yeah, through. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. they're listening to what you've all gone through and it's like a different viewpoint. Yeah. Because we all know so much focus, and naturally so, on the woman if they've lost mm. the child, they've carried the child. Mm. We get that. But there can be that, those terribly dark moments for dads, just feeling a little bit... Yeah. out in the cold yeah, and, and you're, you're just trying to bring everyone together on well, that. I think, I think that's the thing. I think we, we, all, we all now kind of look at it and think that there's real potential for us to grow this, this podcast and also for the foundation itself, it's, it's, it's getting a different angle as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, you know, there's, there's no question about that, yeah. I think, as well. I think what know? Dan's also been, the sort of value that Dan's added, like, you know, we were saying that he hasn't um, <clears throat> experienced the loss of a baby himself <clears throat> is that actually having Dan involved as somebody who hasn't lost a baby is breaking the stigma as well amongst men that actually as a mate down the pub, like Dan said, or in a coffee house or wherever that may be, that there's an ability to be able to speak to your friends mm -hmm. or yeah. you know, family members and, and offer that support through the eyes of somebody who hasn't yeah. you know, and, experienced And learnings, there's, there's things that you, I, I was worried that I couldn't say or shouldn't say, mm. again, coming back to the elephant in the room episode. But since then, I mean, I've learned a lot just from doing it. So, you know, I'm that, I'm that person, if you, haven't, if you haven't lost a child, I'd urge you to have a listen to it, just, just to see, you know, what's on the table and the sort of support that you could offer your friends mm. or somebody, maybe you haven't got a friend who's lost a child, but you, you never know, it might unfortunately happen Absolutely. at some point. So, well, yeah. it's, it's an, an incredible conversation and one that has to be had more and more, in fact. And, it, and it's reaching international levels, which <clears> I'm delighted to hear. So it's, it's going incredibly well. You've yeah. got a new season coming out now, of course, in October as right, well. Right, so there so. we go. Let's finish that there. That was an amazing experience. Ryan and Matt, how did you find that looking back on it now? Because, you know, you're watching yourself get interviewed about the process that you went through. How were you feeling before? I know we, we spent the whole time together, but how did you feel on the way home when we all parted ways afterwards when it's, you know, sunk in? Because I thought you both spoke really well. I think pride. I think that was a big one for me. I think um, I've said lots of people have obviously asked me, of course, about how it was and how the experience went and things. And, and I said... You can take away the cameras and everything. Like, it, of course, the national the national focus was there, and it was brilliant to get it across. But I didn't care about being on television. It yeah. was about the message. Exactly. It was about I had enough passion for this subject going in to that interview beforehand. Anyway. Yeah. How about yourself, Ryan? How did you find it? Um, just in a similar vein to Matt. Yeah, I think pride was probably the big thing. We all spoke the night before. We were lucky enough to go down the night before and, and we did have a good chat and there was there was definitely nerves, definitely nerves. But I think it was nerves because we wanted to make sure that we did 
it justice, didn't we? We wanted to make yeah. sure that that time that we had, we did what we're trying to do, justice. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. Because obviously we're joking on the way down. Yeah, let's have a few beers when we get down there. <laughs> do you know what we did? Three lads out on a night in London. We had a pint and went home. <laughs> That's because we paid £23 for three beers. <laughs> I mean, you know, not being funny, but you know, yeah, we can have another beer. Yeah, all right. We'll sell the house. The one thing Matt didn't mention, because he was he's the tallest person and they, he had cramp during it, during the seven minutes, because they put him with the longest legs right in front of the chair legs. Uh, sorry, the coffee table in the middle so if you watch it back you can see him then his foot starts tapping when he's trying to get the blood back in it <laughs> Dan and Ryan are just chilling on the side of their legs I had loads like, of room yeah. like, I was in like a four man tent like, <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I had stick from some of my friends about the freshness of my trainers apparently they were like if you need any help with your style next time I'm like come on who is that bad hey as you know as a guy you wouldn't know they were your friends if they didn't take the piss well yeah exactly. absolutely absolutely yeah. So that has been the journey for the Still Parents podcast. Thank you to each and every one of our guests that have joined us. We will be returning at the start of October live from our brand new studio, which we're very excited to be using. Although, I mean, we'll see how many many problems we have with it in the first week. But we're back very soon. If you would like to join us at any point on the show, whether it's for the entirety of it or just for a few minutes via Zoom or in person, please get in touch with us. You can follow our socials, Still Parents Podcast, and we will see you very, very soon. Take care.